Virtue signaling, which is the modern art of calling out and shaming people with your virtual virtue, has become a very taboo thing to do online these days. But there's a very important word in that phrase, and it's the word virtue. Does virtue have a place in our world? Today we'll be looking at the Greek philosophical roots of virtue and the point in the Bible where virtue actually enters into Christian thought and imagination through the writings of Paul. That's what we'll be talking about today. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, grace and peace to you all. Um, today we are going to be launching in uh, to a more of a, a history on virtue because we really thought about doing a, a series on the virtues, especially in light of um, our our moment in history. Just it's it's online, um, in the news, emails that I've been getting, um, people kind of texting me, whatever. It's just kind of crazy out there. Mm-hmm. And I want to lean into... Um, the, the Christian virtues, especially the theological virtues. Now, if you don't know what a virtue is, if you don't know what it means by a theological virtue, that's the whole point of today's uh, podcast, is that kind of diving into the, the, um, the history of virtue. And with me is Matt Barrios. Matt's on staff. Hey. Hey. This is going to be really fun, Matt. Um, so I guess let's start, let's just dive in. Let's just start by talking about, like, um, virtue isn't actually a, doesn't have Christian roots or Christian origin. The mm-hmm. actual origin of uh, virtues is uh, Greek and philosophical Greek, like classical f- Greek philosophy. Yeah. So walk yeah. me through some of that. Walk me through like where, what virtue is and where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I think it, like the history of this conversation around virtue is a really fascinating one to me because, uh, you know, in lots of ways, like virtue, it feels kind of like an outdated term mm-hmm. like yeah, we don't no, we don't use it like who's talking about virtue like yeah. we are exactly and, and we hope that everybody else does because we yeah. are um but but yeah like uh it's an ancient conversation yeah the, the talk about virtue and yeah, the only going, way we talk about it is in, in its negative sense like virtue signaling hey don't virtue signal yeah i know that you're doing you're trying to call out you know that kind of call out culture mm-hmm. and it's almost used as like a um like a, a cuss word. It's almost used like calling someone out like, Hey, don't be more virtuous than I am. But there is a huge place of cultivating virtue in the life of actually anyone, but especially life of the Christian. Yes. Definitely. So I think it's a really important conversation. It, I think it's a super important conversation. And you know, like if we're like thinking distant backstory, ancient Greece is uh, where this conversation was first, like really, really forming. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of like, uh, in, in recorded history, that's where a lot of philosophy and kind of big, big ideas come from for us, uh, kind of in the Western world, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if we're going to be talking about virtue, we got to really talk about uh, Aristotle, who yeah. was ancient Greek philosopher, um, you know, hundreds of years BC. And he's, uh, he was like a person who was an instructor, a teacher, and kind of like a public intellectual of his day. And um, a lot of his writing has survived. Some mm-hmm. of it's been lost. But one of the most important books that uh, we have still remaining is a book called Nic- Nicomachean Ethics, which mm-hmm. is like his big treatise work on ethics. Uh, like, how do you live ethically? And built into that is a conversation about virtue. What is virtue? How, how do we become virtuous? All of these kinds of things. So he's kind of like, a, you know, great grandfather Mm -hmm. 
of the conversation around virtue. And what would be like the high calling? Why virtue? Well, uh, so for Aristotle, why virtue? Like the purpose of virtue is actually happiness. Yeah. Which is such a fascinating connection. It's so clutch. I think this is so <laughs> key. Yeah. Because it's not just virtue to say, oh, I did that one good thing that one time. Mm-hmm. It's actually that you live in such a way for such a long period of time that you actually become the most joyful version of yourself, most happy, fulfilled yes. version of yourself. That's exactly it. And, you know, as much as like, you know, cultivating virtue might might be challenging at times. It requires us to like kind of take take that virtuous moral high ground from time to time, which can be tough. But if the reward at the end is uh, what what Aristotle called, uh, like the Greek word was eudaimonia, which mm-hmm. means happiness or flourishing. So like to take that virtuous path is the way into a happy and flourishing life. The good life. The good life, yes. Yeah, think of... Um, Eugene Peterson, his, he wrote a book called Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm-hmm. And his whole thing was about developing a Christian character that's so deeply embedded in you that you become the kind of person that sees the world joyfully. You live the good life through this way. And mm-hmm. I get to spend a little time with Eugene Peterson before he passed. And he was the most joyful, content person that I've actually ever been around in my life. And he exuded this like quiet joy. Uh, and it's, it's, it's remarkable. And it, and it reminds me a lot of kind of Aristotle's teachings, mm-hmm. not that I'm like super familiar with them, but I know enough about this subject mm-hmm. to know that that's the whole hope of virtue yes. is that you would live in such a way that you become, you would live the good life. Right, right. And for, for Aristotle, like, um, we don't stumble into the good life by accident. Yeah. Right. It's actually, you can't a, buy the good life. Yeah. You can't buy it. You can't experience it. It's you, not, that's you not don't it. win the good life in the lottery, you know, like yeah. you, that's what we do. We try to consume the good life. Yes. And it's never fulfilling. Exactly. Instead, like that good, rich, full life, it's because we, uh, in, in Aristotle's thought, uh, virtue is connected to habit. So yeah. it's only by uh, like habituating ourselves to good action, yeah, um, good, just, right action, that we find ourselves becoming virtuous and through that, uh, like attaining to a good, happy life, which is, I think the, I don't know, this might be a bad word in this context, but the bastard way to get about that is like, mm-hmm. we've taken habits and made them atomic habits toward yeah, yeah. the kind of optimized life we want to live. And it's just like, you'll never get there. You'll never get to joy. You'll never get to the ultimate place that you're trying to do like the good life until your habits become virtuous habits and not just like sleep, ha- which sleep is important, but sleep, mm-hmm. eat, work out. Like you're like, you know, you're optimizing kind of to, to everything yes. and you're, you never get there. You never arrive at like, like peace and joy. Yeah. Cause you're yeah. not habituating your life toward the good life. You're actually, you're just trying to optimize for like, yeah. And, and I think, you know, if, if Aristotle was thinking like optimization, like he, we're not optimizing for getting good sleep or like uh, success, mm-hmm. right? It's actually optimizing for virtue. And he mm-hmm. has, um, he has a way of setting that up, basically. And he identified, uh, you know, a couple common virtues, uh, like, uh, you know, virtues that are pretty uh, widely known, things like courage, for mm-hmm. example, right? But he did an interesting thing, and this is where the idea of kind of the golden mean mm-hmm. comes around I for Aristotle. This. Yeah, It's so, yeah, I think it's, it's so such good. A, a good way to think about it. And uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. So taking courage as an example. Yeah. So 
um, if if we could like you know mentally picture right now like a, a kind of a spectrum of uh, acting in the face of fear, mm-hmm. right? That whole line represents acting in the face of fear. There's a way to be deficient in that, mm-hmm. and there's a way to be excessive mm-hmm. in that, and there's a way to be right in the golden mean of it, and that's where the virtue is. So, mm-hmm. um, so if we were uh, excessively fearful and not acting, mm-hmm. well, then that would mean we're it's cowardice. Mm-hmm. That's what that is, right? Um, if we are um, uh, excessively um, acting in the face of fear, then we're reckless, mm-hmm. right? So we can be deficient, we can be excessive, uh, but right in the middle is courage, That's right. which is experiencing fear, but still acting, yeah. right? So there's just like one example of what, uh, how Aristotle held virtue and um, what it looks like to kind of optimize for that golden mean, like find ourselves in the center between excess and deficiency. Which I think is such a uh, an important way to come about it because actually it goes down through every virtue like sexual morality is the same thing like there's mm-hmm. a deficiency uh of 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 sexual or uh, sexual morality where it's where you become a prude yeah and then there's one where you're just promiscuous mm-hmm. and in the middle where you treat sex and sexuality as a beautiful healthy thing but you're not promiscuous there's there's tenderness there's there's, um, there's actually a kind of sexuality that is, that's beautiful. Yes. And what we do is the church, usually when it comes to this stuff, we kind of, we go to one extreme, right? The church does one extreme and then we move to San Francisco and do the other extreme, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. typically what happens. Right, right. right? It's so much easier to like, uh, to be in the extremes. Like there's this, uh, this Chesterton, uh, quote, GK Chesterton thinker, uh, you know, he, um, and Christian man, he, he said that truth is a slippery horse. Yeah. And like yeah. you, uh, you get on the horse, you find yourself falling off on the other side. Yeah. And, uh, and I feel like I just watch that constantly. You yeah. know, I watch that in my own life constantly yeah. where, uh, it's like a pendulum swing from, from, uh, deficient to excessive and, yeah. and so on. Yeah. Okay. So what about as this moves into the Christian conversation, what are the kind of Christian virtues are, you know, they're called the theological virtues. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's really cool the way that this conversation on virtue evolved, uh, kind of in the history of thought. Uh, so the next big thinker, uh, you know, that I'll talk about, I'm sure there are plenty of others talking about virtue in history, but, um, yeah, is we're going to talk about Paul, like, yeah. uh, you know, the apostle Paul in the scriptures, he is, uh, he actually writes about virtue in a way that is, is different, but not far afield from the way Aristotle thought and, about virtues. And this is where it gets interesting because when Paul writes this, um, theologians, especially today, debate a lot about what Paul is doing here because um, Paul is actually taking Greek philosophical thought and he's pulling it into the Bible. He's actually mm-hmm. writing the scriptures with this. And so specifically, we're thinking of Philippians 4, 8, right? Mm-hmm. Where he says, finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So right there, in there, that word admirable um, is virtuous. Whatever is virtuous mm whatever is excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things. And so he actually brings the word in to the Bible and he actually names. Now, all of these don't go one for one with 
Aristotle's teaching, sure. only one of them does, and that's just, right? Mm-hmm. Do what is right is mm-hmm. Aristotle, Aristotle's list. But everything else is like he's taking the Greek framework of virtue and pulling it into the Christian kind of imagination yeah. and saying, do these things. Absolutely. And I think uh, that this is one of, you know, one, one of God's gifts to the church is a person like Paul who was a Hellenized Jew, which means that he was uh, a person who kept to Jewish traditions, faith, and so on, you know, knew, knew Yahweh, knew God, mm-hmm. and at the same time uh, was like brought up in a Greek cultural context. Uh, you know, the, the Roman world was known for caring about Greek thought. Like it was kind of like the Romans were like all fanboys for Greek philosophy, mm-hmm. basically. And so they uh, they instituted that in their educational systems and stuff. And so that means that Paul would have both been engaging with uh, Jewish thought as well as Greek thought. Mm-hmm. And here we get to see in this verse that you, you, you just read for us, um, we see how there's bridges mm-hmm. between these things. And, uh, and virtue is not only a Greek thing, it's actually a Christian thing yeah. as well. And so the question is, what was Paul doing there? Was Paul saying, you know, philosophical Greek thought is like now baptized in the Christian worldview. Is Paul like taking the language of his day and bringing it in and like trying to be, you know, um, uh, culturally kind of relevant? Um, what was Paul doing there? And we'll get back to that, but let's move on to um, how this continued in Christian thought. Yeah. Like so who this, was the first, who was the person who carried this thought on? Yeah. So the history keeps going and, uh, and then, uh, in the what's called kind of like the scholastic era in history, um, that was when Thomas Aquinas comes on the scene, mm-hmm. and he's it's in the 1200s. He's working, I think, at like the University of Paris as a professor, and he was a he was a, a priest or monk or something like mm-hmm. that. And he was the person who really uh, so for a long time Aristotle just like went out of vogue. Nobody really cared about him, but he somehow like gets a hold of Aristotle's writings. And does uh, what people are like referring to as like baptizing Aristotle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's exactly what you're describing, where um, Thomas Aquinas uh, becomes almost like the theologian uh, most drawing from Aristotelian thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that, uh, uh, including embracing some of uh, Aristotle's way of thinking about um, virtue, including things like the golden mean, which we mm-hmm. talked about, as well as thinking about uh, the way that. There are some habits embedded mm-hmm. into the natural virtues that we have, mm-hmm. and um, and in, Aris- in uh, Aquinas we see um, a distinction now, though, between uh, maybe some of the virtues that were associated with Aristotle and some that are like very, very rooted in Scripture mm-hmm. and Christian understanding. So this is, he gives this cat these categories of natural virtue and theological virtue, mm-hmm. and uh, natural virtue will be things like. Um, like prudence and mm-hmm. temperance, you know, like the, uh, like the names of like little house on the prairie characters, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then, uh, or CS Lewis characters in like some screw tape letters. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah. It's Pilgrim's progress stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and then we have, uh, the theological virtues, which are the, the ones that we're going to be talking about mostly in, mm-hmm. in this series on virtues, things like faith, hope, and love. Yeah. Right. And, um, Aquinas really clearly delineates these things as like there's some virtues that humans can naturally cultivate um, through habit, but there's also ones that are so deeply originating in Mm. God, Mm -hmm. in relationship with God, God's revealed um, order of Mm -hmm. things. 
And, uh, and so that's where things like faith, hope, and love. Uh, yeah. I find that fascinating. Cause I, I was literally went to the, um, the, the hospital down the street today and I was walking up to the hospital and in the, in the windows in the very top floor, they had, you know, done like art projects or something and they mm. put stuff in the windows or whatever. And it was faith, hope and love in the, and it's not, you know, it's not one of the, it's not a Catholic, um, hospital. It's a, it's a very, you know, just straight up hospital. Yeah. And, um, I was thinking like, I think that we would all interpret those, those very differently. Um, what love is, Mm-hmm. what faith is, what hope is. And yes. um, I think what Aquinas is getting after, you can't really know those virtues and because they're so deeply rooted in God. Mm-hmm. Um, you can know them at a certain level, but the probably the, the deepest level or the purest level that you can, you can get at these virtues is only found in God. Is that what he, he was oh, saying? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think that's exactly it. And I'll, I'll pull out like two concepts from Aquinas to illustrate that. So um, Aquinas is what's referred to as a natural law philosopher. So he believed that there is like a natural law that God baked into the foundations of creation and to live according to that natural law is to be virtuous. Mm -hmm. Right. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's where, you know, like a a person who's really just it's because they're living with the grain, Mm -hmm. uh, that God created for the world. And, um, and so that's an important piece. And that is that in, like, is that moral law? Is that what that is? Is it the same thing or is that different? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, moral law is... It's uh, like if you, if you yes. you know, fall off of a building, you're, you're going to meet the natural law of gravity. If you mm-hmm. cheat and lie, you're going to meet the natural law of, of the consequences of that because there is a, there's a grain of the universe that like, that's exactly. immoral. Exactly, right. A person reaps what they sow, right? Yeah. Like it's, this is very like proverbial wisdom kind of stuff, yeah. you know, where, um, you know, this is just the way things are like, yeah. uh, these are generally the truths and rules that the world functions by. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, that, that's one concept, natural law. He's a natural law philosopher. The second is that he, um, is also, uh, beyond, he's a theologian. Mm-hmm. He's about God. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so he had, uh, an idea of basically beatific vision. So, mm-hmm. um, where, uh, in, you know, when, when we pass away, um, when we behold Christ face to face, um, there'll be like a, an experience of being brought into like fullest unity and perfection with him that will, um, that will take us beyond like whatever natural virtue Hmm. we could have had, or even, um, the gracious virtue God gives us, um, by, by like helping us along the way in this Mm -hmm. life. And it creates a, um, that beatific vision, seeing Christ face to face, is what uh, makes us truly perfect and one with mm. God. Mm. And, uh, and so he has that in his view always when he's writing this stuff. If we're going to talk virtue, we have to talk about the fact that one day we'll see Christ face to face and all will be made perfect, mm. um, including us. We will be made perfectly virtuous. So he has this idea of um, the, the, there is a created order, a created moral order mm-hmm. put forth by God and that order will meet its culmination in us when we see Christ face to face. Exactly. Got it. And, uh, you know, and, and I think he's just a, an interesting person. I mean, everybody studies him like uh, in modern day, like uh, there have just been so many revivals of uh, what's called like Thomism, Thomism, mm-hmm. uh, like Thomistic thought where that he's the authority, uh, especially in uh, the Catholic Church. He is the authority. Vatican II reiterates like, Thomas Aquinas is like 
the guy that they're drawing from. Um, and yet, at the same time, you know, we we are kind of coming from the line of Protestant tradition, yeah. and um, and this is where the story gets another wrinkle that yeah, I find interesting. I do too. The reformers, right? Yeah. This, let's talk about that because I we don't talk enough about some of the um, some of the maybe shadow side of mm-hmm. the Reformation. I mean, at least we yes. don't in our tradition. I'm sure there are other traditions that do, but we don't. Mm-hmm. And there is a there is a shadow side to the Reformation when it comes to the virtues. What is that? Well, I mean, like all things, it's got its good, it's got its bad, right? Yeah. So uh, the reformers, uh, you know, headed up by like Martin Luther, he's he's like banging the drum of justification by faith. It's because mm-hmm. we have faith in Christ, that's how we are saved. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was actually very, very... Uh, you know, taking it back to Aristotle, anti-Aristotle's perspective mm-hmm. on virtue being rooted in habit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, he's going to hyper downplay that there's any habituation that needs to take place uh, because he's so by faith alone, by faith alone, by mm-hmm. grace alone in uh, his theological perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think in really good, beautiful ways that are very, very important for us to hold on to. And at that time was important because of what it had become. Exactly. So it's a protesting, you know, mm-hmm. of uh, the Catholic Church's emphasis on being saved through works and yeah. so on, um, such that there's a whole economy being made out of buying indulgences for sin and so mm-hmm. on. You know, it's like wacky stuff. It's right? like hyper works and he was hyper faith. And they exactly. was, it's the only way to like unlatch something from its, from its like things that glom on. Like we have to like rip this off yes. by this becoming this hyper hyper faith thing it's by by grace alone by faith alone you know that's exactly it. and remove the virtues yeah and we we might have thrown the baby out with the bathwater on that one and um and what we lost in emphasizing uh faith alone grace alone even though that is also true um is the fact that there is a sanctification process that god takes us through which is at least partially about the cultivation of virtue in our lives right um, you know, in the, in the writings of Paul, he tells us to do exactly what you're reading, like think upon these things that are noble and admirable and so on. Right. And that requires like actual action and participation mm-hmm. for us. And if we, if we think it's going to happen by accident, then that's not how it works. And simultaneously, you know, there's kind of like a dual layer or both and here where, um, the, the Reformation theology of double imputation, which is like the, imp- the imputed, this, the sin of humanity is imputed on Christ on the cross so that the righteousness of Christ is imputed on us. So it's like we are named as righteous, given the righteousness of Christ. And that is like the, so deeply true, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. So I, we, we make, I can't make that point enough. That, yes. That is a theological point in, in what happens at a, at a deep uh, like identity level is true. Yes, yes. And now, how do we let that deepest, truest thing find expression exactly. on a regular basis in our lives? And right? that's the sticking point. That's the point where we don't have the imagination or even the Christian furniture to even like arrange that in our mind because we mo- most people that, that I come in contact with that, that, pass, that we pastor in our church mm-hmm. have such a deep understanding of in Christ alone Christ has done it all yes. that we don't understand our participation now in uh, sanctification. Um, yes. 
there is there is um, a wonderful theology of uh, of our identity being in Christ because all that what Christ has done now we're in Him, but then how do we participate in that new identity? And that's where we get stuck. Yeah, I agree. And and so like thinking of virtues, for example. So if one of our like the central virtue in the Christian life is love, right? Um, there is this deep, true sense in which God has like made love, like he has given us all the love that we'll ever need. He has, um, he has filled our hearts so fully, our inner person so fully with love. And now it's, but like the game doesn't end there. The thing that actually makes the Christian life really exciting in my opinion is now how do I stay dependent on God so that I can let love, like keep sowing those seeds of love Mm -hmm. in the world all all around me, right? Yeah, to put on love. Jesus' teachings on love were all action-based. Like, Mm -hmm. again, spoiler alert, we're kind of getting into what we're going to talk about the next few weeks, but like uh, going the extra mile, loving your enemy, Mm -hmm. uh, turning the other cheek. Like these were manifestations of love that we have to, that you don't just do it at a, you have to habituate yourself toward it so you can react. It's like, Especially because those things are, um, so many things about love are totally counterintuitive. Yes. Right? Like, and, and actually a lot of virtue is counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense to be courageous when you could run away. It doesn't make sense to like be temperate, you know, and sober when you could just get drunk all day. Mm-hmm. Right? Like those things don't, don't meet on some level some of the things that are just kind of base in us that just want to like let loose. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, or be fearful or so on. And, uh, and so for that reason, there is a training process actually that God has us in to, to fully expand us, fully expand our character and our actions in love and faith and hope. Which brings us back to Philippians. When Paul was concluding his letter to the Philippian church, he said, finally, meaning I'm concluding this thing, um, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, meditate on such things. And then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, which is basically, you know, pure things, lovely things, admirable things, right things. I mean, he Mm -hmm. spent time pastoring this church or seen in me. He said, put into practice. Yeah. So he is then bringing in this idea of, these virtues in your life have to be thought about and practiced over and over and over and over again till you become this kind of person. Mm-hmm. It's true about you because everything he's saying, if you read this entire context, um, the theologian Gordon Fee says that what Paul's doing in here is he's basically saying that, um, that you are in Christ and every, now everything you do in Christ as you're in Christ and experiencing Christ becomes like pure and lovely. Like it's almost like a, uh, uh, like you go and enjoy all the good things that God has, has that has for you in Christ as you practice your identity in Christ and mm-hmm. you practice putting on these things in Christ. And all of a sudden when you're going to the store and when you're meeting with your neighbor and mm-hmm. you're meeting, with your, th- those things become pure and lovely and holy Yes. That's how it happens. You have to practice these things. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the things that I think is true, bring it back to Aristotle for a sec, is I think that is what makes for a good and happy life. The good when, life. When we show up at the checkout counter and are offering love, like participating with God and putting into practice love with that person who we're like waiting in line with, I feel like that 
those are like my glowing moments. Yeah, I don't have them all the time, but I'm like, this is so good. And I'm like, I get to show up and be a loving person with people. And, um, and, and it's super meaningful. And at the same time, like, I, I think we're getting very different messages about that, mm-hmm. uh, in the modern day. Like, yeah. like what, so thinking about this topic of virtue, right. Which is what we've been trying to dissect the history around. Now we're in a moment where, um, virtue has like fascinating expressions as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the fact is that like, this is the first conversation I've had about virtue in who knows how long. Right. And, and I care about this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so this is just wild. Um, what are you seeing as like maybe some of what's happening now, uh, in virtue? Well, I, I think that, um, to be virtuous right now, it's almost like you are, um, it's, it's almost not virtuous to be virtuous when you are virtuous. Um, you kind of want to, you want to, uh, do the opposite, do the opposite of what being virtuous would mean by calling people out, by Mm -hmm. telling people that you're more virtuous than them, Mm -hmm. which is not virtue at all, Mm -hmm. which I think is very interesting in this like world where like we're calling people out and saying, you're this and you're that and I'm better Mm -hmm. and, and you don't have it right. And I, and I actually have been getting it from everywhere, you know, social media and people texting and emailing me, whatever. Mm -hmm. And this, this, this thing, like actually virtue just is like this long obedience in the same direction that you practice it in, in, in the, in, in silence. And you almost don't experience from the other person until you're around them and with them. They're not like throwing it out. Mm. Um, and so I think, I think we need to, I think the church, there's this really unique opportunity for the church to first in light of everything going on in our world to start meditating and practicing the good, lovely, pure, right, admirable, yes, like virtues, like we can practice them um, and become the kind of people that once we do this and lean into this and like start to actually practice this, we'll find ourselves backing into a life that we really, we ultimately really wanted. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's what I think is, is in front of us. I, I, I agree. I think there's, um, there's maybe multiple stories going on right now about, about virtue. And what you just said is, um, is what I, what I want Christians to hold on to is this, like we, we get to do, we get to think on what's noble and good and, and back into that good life by practicing virtue. I think there's a, maybe a counter narrative culturally going on, uh, mm-hmm. like the call out culture, like how you're mentioning. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I think maybe there's, there's some places of kinship that we can name uh, around culture. Mm-hmm. Um, like, so I think one, one like if I were to put my finger on one current day virtue that is being espoused, um, I think the word emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. like that idea yeah. of being emotionally intelligent, being empathetic, that's like a very uh, high virtue that I'm, I don't know, I like read, you know, random uh, business insider articles about mm-hmm. like the importance of empathy in the workplace mm-hmm. and these kinds of things. So thank you, Brene Brown. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Brene Brown. No joke. Uh, God bless her. She's a sister too. So, I mean, she's bringing it to the people and there's like, there's like uh, one place um, that I can see real kinship actually yeah, with I agree. Uh, a Christian, hopeful, hopefully Christian practice of virtue is that we would be emotionally intelligent and empathetic folks. Yes. And so in that way we can be like, yeah, there's some camaraderie here. What would you say is like ways that people in our community can either start practicing some of these virtues now or even having conversations around them in their community? Oh man. Yeah. Well, um, 
gosh, if I, if I'm thinking about, uh, something like emotional intelligence or love, um, I would say, uh, you know, empathy is a great place. Uh, I mean, empathy is like really how deep relationship is made. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a really practical thing that people can do is, um, ask questions mm. that invite vulnerable responses. Yeah. So some, I mean this, people use this example all the time, but they're like, the, how are you? I'm good. No. How are you? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I mean, sometimes we need to ask these follow-up questions that can, um, and it's going to be different for any person that we're asking questions. There's not a d exact science to this or a formula for this. Instead, um, we, we look for ways to invite deep feeling in, in people's responses. Uh, and typically the feelings that people find troubling to share are ones that are like hard or negative or something like that. Deep grief, anger, um, you know, confusion, yeah. these kinds of things. So, um, the more that we can, uh, practice empathy, the more we're going to find that we're having conversations where people are sharing their anger, grief, um, confusion with mm -hmm. us. And then we, and then we step in as like Christian people who are committed to love and we love them right there. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I mean, that's the, the practice of questions yeah, is huge. Good. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Next week on, um, this series, this virtue series, we're going to be deep diving into the theological virtue of love. And that will be next Thursday on our podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, we hope that you start to get intrigued about the Christian virtues, start practicing, maybe meditating on Philippians 4, 8 um, through 10 uh, in your own time with God. Uh, until then, uh, peace be with you. <laughs>